Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast with me, Blake Lambert Hack. This season, I am covering cases from New York City, and tonight I will be talking about an abandoned hospital, an old asylum, and other haunted places on Roosevelt Island in the East River. I have been covering cases from Manhattan specifically this season, and to my surprise, Roosevelt Island is considered part of the borough Manhattan. And New York City in general is just made up of a bunch of little islands. Like, I think I read something like 40 islands. Some inhabited, some not. But Roosevelt is definitely one of the most, like, well-known islands of New York City. Obviously, Manhattan is the most well-known. Staten Island being number two. Long Island up there as well. But Roosevelt, because it's not huge, it's on the smaller side, but it's smack dab in the middle of the East River. So you can take the subway to get there. You can take a ferry to get there. And you can drive there. So it is accessible. And there's a lot on the island today. Like you could live on the island if you want to. But before we do get into that, I have to apologize for not releasing an episode last week. I was so sick that y'all would not have wanted to hear my voice on this microphone. I was so congested and could barely talk. And it just would not have been worth listening to I promise you so thank you for understanding thank you for listening to this episode check out all the previous episodes but yeah this week I've just been relaxing recuperating I saw the Transformers movie which was a I was going to say treat, but I don't know if it was a treat. It was entertaining just as all the other ones are entertaining. You know, a big spectacle, fun to see cars transform into robots. And the animal aspect was fun. But at this point, they really are just making shit up. The shit they... <laughs> it's supposed to be a prequel, I think. And they were introducing things that I was like, why didn't they do that in the original movies? If they had it in the 90s, why didn't they have it in the early 2000s? It just didn't make sense. But it was a fun ride. I will say that. A fun ride. Also, we've been dealing with these wildfires in Canada. Down in New York City. Like, the smoke from the wildfires were blown south. And a lot of the country is, like, having re percussions from the wildfires in Canada but because New York is so close to Canada it was yellow outside and that's not an exaggeration like you looked out the window and it was like you had yellow sunglasses on it was yellow and they were telling us all not to drive not to walk outside for very long if you were outside for 24 hours in New York City they were saying it was like smoking a pack of six six cigarettes something like that it did smell like a campfire, and I love the smell of campfires, which you know isn't good. 
But all those people living in California know what I'm talking about. It's not great air, but I was sick already, so I was basically stuck inside anyway. So I didn't really experience much of it. But it was crazy to look outside and just see yellow. Like the windows were yellow. But we're clean cleaner now. It's not really visibly noticeable. Like it doesn't smell like a campfire outside anymore. So I think we're on our way to being better air quality, to having better air quality. But Canada was saying that, you know, it's just the beginning of the season. So we might get more of it down the line. We'll see. But that's what's happening in New York City currently. But let's jump back to what was happening in New York City in the late 1800s, early 1900s, a while ago. So this is, you know, Haunted Hometowns, NYC, Roosevelt Island. Quote, what, expecting torture, would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? Here is a class of women sent to be cured... I would like the expert physicians who are condemning me for my action, which has proven their ability to take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up and make her sit from 6 a.m. until 8 p.m. on straight back benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during these hours. Give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months would make her a mental and physical wreck. Unquote. Now that is a passage from the book 10 Days in a Madhouse by Nellie Bly. You may know this story a bit because American Horror Story Asylum Season 2 used this experience as a loose plot point for the season when Sarah Paulson's character sneaks into the asylum to report the horrible things done to the patients in the asylum. And that is exactly what author Nellie, author and journalist Nellie Bly did. She was able to act, quote, crazy enough for professional doctors and a judge to send her to New York City lunatic asylum. So basically, she's not insane. She claimed to be insane to be able to be committed to this asylum so she could report on the bad doings in the asylum. So the asylum was built in 1834 on Roosevelt Island, but it didn't open officially until 1841. The most notable part of the asylum was an octagonal building that served as the main entrance, which still stands today. Nellie Bly was sent to the asylum in 1887. She recorded everything that happened, including the horrific way nurses treated the patients. Most commonly, Nurses would tell patients to shut up, and if they didn't, the nurses would 
beat them until they did. Remember that time when shut up was used as like, (laughs) when someone would tell you something scandalous and you would just respond with, shut up. No, shut up. I think they said that in Mean Girls a lot, like early 2000s. It's kind of funny that that slang doesn't really exist anymore, but in the late, mid, late 1800s, these nurses were not using it as a joke, as a response. It was, you shut the fuck up or I will beat you until you do. Which is kind of, I mean, this whole point is that the nurses were awful, but it's horrible to people who are not mentally all there. You know, if you're mentally ill, sometimes you can't shut the fuck up as much as you'd like to shut the fuck up. You can't. So you're going to beat them until they do? Come on. You got to have more patience than that. The food served in the asylum to patients was gruel broth, spoiled beef, stale bread, and dirty, undrinkable water. Now, I know they're probably getting last pickings when it comes to food. I'm sure that truck drives around to all these restaurants in New York City dropping off the best food here, there, and there. And then eventually makes it to the asylum where they give them whatever they have left or whatever they can you know, cheaply afford. But spoiled beef? Stale bread? Now, there are some great uses for stale bread. I made a nice, lovely bread pudding with stale bread not that long ago and it was great but I don't think these (laughs) I don't think these patients in the asylum are making bread pudding every day I I mean maybe they are maybe I'm wrong but I just don't think it's happening and dirty undrinkable water I don't even know what that means other than they were reusing water from other parts of the building, like showers or something, or the pipes were corroded, making the water undrinkable. I don't know. But you at least got to give these people water. Out of anything, water. I was just catching up on the most recent uh, season of SVU, and there was a man trapped in an underground cage for a month. It looked like he was trapped in a cage, again, underground in like Central Park or something like that. But when the mortician did the autopsy, because the man trapped underground did end up dying. When he did the autopsy, he found a pile of, I don't even know what you call it. But in the episode, it was everything your body can't process right away. And all this man that was trapped in this cage was eating was red, like red vines, like licorice. And so, cause like the captor only fed him red vines. So this man was only eating candy for a month and your body can't process sugar like that, that quickly. And because of that, it collected in his stomach and... They showed this mass of red vines on the episode. And honestly, it was one of the grossest moments for me in TV history. 
definitely for SVU, it was just gross looking. I could not imagine. And it was huge. It was almost football size of red vines that was apparently just like trapped in this man's stomachs. Stomach. So I can't imagine what these patients in the asylum, what their stomach contents looked like if they're eating gruel broth, spoiled beef, stale bread, and dirty water. Gross. When it came to the physically dangerous patients in the asylum, they were all tied together with rope, which, sure, probably saved nurses and other patients from getting attacked, but it didn't stop the ones tied together from hurting each other. It's like putting a band-aid on a broken finger, not actually solving the issue, and in some instances you're making it worse. Patients were made to sit for most of the day, kind of in that quote I was talking about, sit on a straight back bench. And they weren't given any extra clothing for cold winter days. Waste was all around the place, including where they all ate. Rats dominated the asylum. And if you've ever been to New York City, you know that the rats here are... Let's say the rats here are courageous. I've had one put its grubby little paw on my shoe. So they're, you know, they're gutsy. They've got chutzpah. They will try anything. So I could not imagine having to literally live with these rats in the asylum. You would have to be best friends. And one of the worst parts for Nellie Bly, the journalist who volunteered to live here, uh, were the baths. And to quote her book again, quote, My teeth chattered and my limbs were goose-fleshed and blue with cold. Suddenly, I got, one after the other, three buckets of water over my head, ice-cold water two into my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my mouth, unquote. After the frigid water was dumped on your head, attendants would harshly scrub your body, then dry you off. They wouldn't change the dirty water or clean the tub or change out the towels. They would just bring the next person in and do the exact same thing over and over with all the patients. Even patients with skin conditions like boils and open sores, they would use the same towels and tubs with them as other patients who didn't have those symptoms. After 10 days inside the asylum, Nellie Bly was released, and she released her experience in articles for a magazine called The World. She then released them as a book, she like collected all the articles and released it as one book. Her findings made everyone question not the treatment of the patients as much as how easy it was for a sane woman to be admitted. Where they should have questioned both the treatment of patients and how easy it was for someone to be admitted into one of these places. 
More money was poured into the Department of Public Charities and Corrections to help the patients, but to also ensure a more thorough examination before you're committed to the asylum. And all of this is thanks to Nellie Bly's book. Of course, the asylum was shut down, but not until 1955, leaving the building abandoned. The octagon was added to the National Register of Historic Places, but the rest of the building was burnt down. In 2006, the octagon was renovated and became the lobby of apartment buildings. So I definitely want to check those out and, you know, maybe I'll live there one day. That asylum resides on what you would probably consider the north end of the Two Mile Island, where it Whereas on the south end of Roosevelt Island was Rennick Smallpox Hospital. Now, the origin of smallpox is unknown. However, there have been findings of Egyptian mummies having smallpox, suggesting it has been around for at least, I don't know, like 3,000 years. The earliest written description thought to be what we now know as smallpox, came from China in the 4th century CE. The global spread of smallpox is thought to come from traveling and exploration, essentially increasing trade between countries. The 17th century saw Europeans bring smallpox to North America, Before the vaccination, three out of 10 people who got smallpox would die. What I found interesting was that the basis for the vaccination came about when Dr. Edward Jenner noticed that people who had cowpox were not getting smallpox. He experimented by taking material from a cowpox sore and insulating a nine-year-old which today is super sketchy. Like, you could not practice medicine if you pulled that kind of shit now. But it worked back then. And even though there was eventually a vaccination, the global eradication campaign suffered from lack of funds, lack of personnel, commitment from certain countries, and a general shortage of vaccine donations. So that's why smallpox kind of persisted as long as it did because of those factors. On March 1st, 1947, a 47-year-old American businessman stopped in New York City Traveling from Mexico City to Maine, he was feeling ill and stayed in a Midtown hotel with his wife before finishing the bus ride to Maine. He was exhausted 
with a headache and pain down the back of his neck. Four days later, he was in the hospital with a 105-degree fever and a rash on his face and hands. And three days later, he was transferred to the city's communicable disease hospital. Doctors considered many diagnoses, but smallpox was not one since he had the vaccination scar. So doctors knew that he was vaccinated against smallpox, so they didn't even really consider smallpox as being an issue for this ill man. On March 10th, the man unfortunately passed away. And more and more people were exhibiting similar symptoms in New York City, but doctors weren't sure what was causing it necessarily. They thought possibly chickenpox, but the rashes didn't quite fit the diagnosis. Doctors sent samples to the U.S. Army Medical School Laboratory in Washington, D.C., and they confirmed that all of the cases that New York City was having were all smallpox, a disease New York City had not even seen since World War II. After doing some investigation work, they discovered that the man traveling from Mexico City, his name was Eugene Libar, he was patient zero for smallpox. In the early 1900s, New York City saw 720 people die from smallpox in two years. People were terrified. They were reliving the past trauma. Smallpox claimed the lives of 300 million people worldwide in the 20th century alone. That makes smallpox in the top five most infectious diseases. In 1980, the World Health Organization officially declared smallpox eradicated. In 1947, when smallpox was running through New York City again, it's thought that when people were vaccinated, either the vaccination didn't take the first round or the vaccination wore off, similar to what we saw with COVID recently. That's why people like Eugene Labar still caught smallpox even though he was vaccinated. So, PSA, go get fucking vaccinated. It's anti-vaccine. I don't even want to get into this, but anti-vaxxers can fuck right off. It's ridiculous. And if you want to save yourself and the people around you, which you should want to do, go get fucking vaccinated. It's insane if you're not. And I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking about any vaccination we have for any disease out there. Anyway, New York City officials learned about the smallpox spread two days, two days before Easter in 1947. They were terrified having so many people flock to New York City for the Easter parade. If only one person had smallpox in the crowd, the outcome could be horrific, astronomical. So at 2 p.m. on Good Friday, a news conference was held 
urging everyone in New York City to get vaccinated or revaccinated for smallpox. They provided the vaccination full free, so there wasn't an excuse for not getting it. Again, similar to my COVID experience. City officials were clear and concise on daily radio messaging. The mayor, William O. Dwyer, secured 250,000 units from a naval supply depot in Brooklyn, 780,000 units from California and Missouri, and 2 million units from private manufacturers. Today, they probably wouldn't be able to act as fast because in the 40s, New York City would or could act independently from the state of New York. So soon New Yorkers were lining up outside hospitals, clinics, police stations, etc. And generally, there wasn't any pushback because people were used to getting vaccinated due to World War II. It was just something you did back then and what people today should be doing. In the first two weeks, 5 million people in New York City were vaccinated against smallpox. A man named Dr. Weinstein was the one to really get all of this done. And by May, he gave the final numbers of vaccination to the American Journal of Public Health. Quote, in a period of less than a month, 6,350,000 people were vaccinated in New York City. Never before had so many people been vaccinated in such a city and on such a short notice. Overall, 12 people were infected and two passed away because of smallpox. However, Back in the 1800s, they did not have the medical advances that saved New York City in 1947. The Renwick Smallpox Hospital was built in 1856. It was the first hospital in the country to receive patients with smallpox. New York City made it law that if you tested positive for smallpox, you were quarantined on Roosevelt Island at the smallpox hospital. Before the hospital was built, smallpox patients were quarantined to wooden houses at the banks of the river near Southport. Whereas Rennick Hospital on Roosevelt Island originally held 100 patients, but later they added two wings to the hospital or to the original building and established a nurse's school with the hospital. Approximately 7,000 patients attended the hospital a year, either by choice or by law. And due to the increase in vaccinations and the aging of the building, the smallpox hospital was abandoned in 1950s. The hospital fell into despair and began to crumble, essentially. It was added to the historic landmarks in New York City. 
So people stepped in to reinforce the walls that were currently there. And the building that was designed in the Gothic Revival style still remains today. And with that, let's take a quick little break. Okay, before we get into ghosts, there's another building on Roosevelt Island I want to mention really quickly. It's the Strecker Laboratory. It was the first pathological and bacteriological research facility in the United States. Kind of part of the Rennick Smallpox Hospital since their goal was to understand diseases. On Roosevelt Island, there was also the City Hospital that served as the prison hospital for anyone on the island. And the lab was built in 1892 to support the city hospital, who was supporting the smallpox hospital, asylum, and a penitentiary that was built in 1832. So all these buildings that, you know, the hospital, the asylum, the prison, the laboratory, they all kind of worked together on this hospital or on this island. It's rumored that dozens of people went missing and or died from unknown causes after being forced to visit the Strecker lab. Because the lab was studying diseases and they had access to the asylum and the smallpox hospital, it's thought that the doctor's working at this lab, took patients and used them as guinea pigs, essentially. I couldn't find any information about what they did for research specifically, like if they tested on patients or animals or what. But again, it is rumored there was a doctor or doctors who may have had something to do with the death of patients. I don't know any more about it or couldn't find any more details about it, but the rumor's out there. The whispers are out there. When it comes to the asylum, the only remaining structure is the octagon that I mentioned. It is now the entrance to apartments and people living there have heard whispering, strange noises bumps and bangs bangs i have bangs <laughs> if you know you know it's a me <laughs> bangs i've got bangs and you know what i do love bangs lady gaga's fame error with those heavy heavy bangs that she could barely see past i'm really into it I love a good, thick, heavy bang. Though I am going to say turf bangs 
could never get into them. Specifically, Courtney Cox and I think like Scream 2, I think it was, or Scream 3 maybe, her turf bangs were not it. D. Antwerp, I think is how you pronounce them. Her turf bangs, sorry girl, not it. But give me a thick heavy bang and I am all in. But those are not the types of bangs these people are hearing living at this place. They're hearing bumps and bangs in the night. <laughs> now that I say that, all I can think of is that I think it's Bad Girls Club where she's pounding on pots and or this big pot or pan. She's like, y'all not going to sleep because of me. If I'm not going to sleep because of you, y'all not going to sleep because of me. I can't remember the exact quote, but she's <laughs> banging on these this pot or pan, just waking everybody up. And it is so funny. It is so good. But yeah, bumps and bangs in the night. That's what I think. <laughs> uh, and even one resident said they heard garbled noises. I don't know what that means. Garbled just makes me believe that you're like choking on water or some liquid that you're drinking. But if you're hearing phantom garbled noises, I guess that could be very creepy absolutely look i'm not judging anybody for their experience their paranormal experience i think it is funny sometimes because <laughs> some of these sounds we hear in real life and you know just because we can't see it doesn't mean a person's not really there but also some of these noises would be really funny to hear without someone there like where is that coming from Where's that gargled noise coming from? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, also, very common dogs, they'll stare and bark at things owners can't see. Very common. And I trust my dog. And if you're a dog owner, you trust your dog, I bet. So if your dog is barking at shit you can't see, I'm sorry, it's not dog schizophrenia. It's a ghost. You heard it here, folks. I said what I said. There have also been strange photos taken in the octagon and people just generally feel ill walking in the space. So take that with what you will, but definitely take some photos in the octagon itself. It's almost exactly like Asylum, American Horror Story Asylum, like that opening entrance. I would not be surprised if they filmed in the octagon specifically, because it looks almost identical. Now, near the site where the old penitentiary was, you may still be able to hear prisoners working away tiredly. And as someone who has performed in Les Miserables as a prisoner, I know what that sound sounds like. I made those sounds. I was a slave in a prison working away on stage <laughs> but yeah keep your ear out because you might hear some prisoners moaning and groaning and in 1858 the waterway between the bronx and queens had earned the nickname hell's gate because ships would regularly run aground in the middle of the night so, hoping to solve this issue that the city is having, the city built a lighthouse 
at the northern tip of Roosevelt Island. But of course, the people who built the lighthouse were the inmates at the penitentiary. If you visit, some people see strange lights and shadows at the base of the lighthouse, as well as the ghost some say was one of the asylum's residents known as John McCarthy. Also, 119 years ago, to the day, the P.S. General Slocum Steamboat caught fire and sank in the East River, not far from Roosevelt Island. So at the time, it was the deadliest disaster in New York City, all the way until the 9-11 attacks. It was also the second worst maritime disaster in U.S. waterways after the sinking of the SS Sultana explosion in the Mississippi River in 1865. That explosion killed around 1,800 people. Also, I do talk about another horrific sinking in season one of Haunted Hometowns, Chicago, where I cover the SS Eastland disaster in the Chicago River. So go check that one out. But the Slocum was traveling north up the East River with 1,388 people aboard. I think it's that sail at like 9 a.m. or something like that. But after the steamboat passed Roosevelt Island and was traveling east, or it was about to sail along the northern part of Long Island. But before it even got there, the forward cabin, a.k.a. the lamp room, caught fire. Possibly from a cigarette. Nobody knows for sure. But whoever was smoking and flicked that cigarette when they were done, shame on you. Now, I am not one to preach rights and wrongs. If you want to smoke, go smoke. Am I going to smoke? No. Because I'm a vocalist. I got to keep my pipes clean. And I just generally don't even care to try it. But if you want to do it, go for it. I do ask, though, if you're going to smoke, don't flick a cigarette on something that's flammable, a.k.a. a wooden steamer. How about that? The fire was fueled by straw, lamp oil, and rags that were kept in the room. You guys have to remember, it's 1904. These... These lamps are run on oil. They have, I don't know why they have straw (laughs) on the steamboat. I mean, maybe to feed the engine. I don't know. But again, you just can't be flicking matches in cigarettes places. So a 12-year-old boy was the first to see the fire at 10 a.m. However, when he told Captain Von Shake the boy was ignored. Now, I don't know why you would ignore a 12-year-old boy who's like, hey, there's a fire. I doubt this boy was like, 
laughing and been like, hee hee hee, it's a, it's a fire. Hee hee hee, I'm lying, it's a fire. No, I'm sure this kid was like freaked out and was like tugging at the jacket of Captain Von Shake and like, hey, this boat is burning the fuck up. We're going to be crisps. We're going to be fried if you don't do something about it. And so the captain just ignores the kid and is like, uh, kids will be kids. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't understand this. Like, we have this understanding that kids are lying or kids shouldn't be trusted or their imaginations are so wild. It's like, I don't know if they really are. <laughs> also, you should just check anyway. Even if you're like, eh, I bet this kid is just, you know, playing firefighter and policeman. I don't know what the fuck they played back in 1904. But as a captain, you should say, hey, let me double check just to be safe. I got almost 2,000 people on this ship. Let me just make sure everything's Gucci. But he did it. It wasn't until 10 minutes later when a crew member noticed the fire that the crew and captain actually did anything about the fire. So the fire was noticed in that area known as Hellgate, just north of Roosevelt Island, which, fitting, hell, flames, burning, you know, you get the drift. The captain ordered the ship to be beached you know, run aground. And eventually it was run onto North Brother Island, which is just west of infamous prison Rikers Island. Now, for those geographically challenged, I bring this up a lot. Uh, I bring it up a lot because I know a lot of people who are geographically challenged. But if you look at the East River, which is the river east of Manhattan, Roosevelt Island is in the middle, essentially, like, you go up, you go north from Roosevelt Island, you hit another island. Well, first you hit a, <laughs> first you hit a thing called Mill Rock, and then you run into another island called Randall's Island. But that is where you get like a fork in the river. You can either go left and continue onto Harlem River, or you can go right and stay in the East River. So this ship stayed in the East River, even though it's on fire, it's still sailing north through the East River. And then you got to bank right to go east, right? It is where Rikers Island is. It is where LaGuardia Airport is. You got to bank right to go to follow the river into, you know, more of a bay. The ship is essentially, instead of banking right like they normally would have, they run aground into 
North Brother Island, which I believe is part of the Bronx, technically, even though it sits in the East River. All of this to say, North Brother Island used to house Riverside Hospital. Riverside Hospital was founded on Roosevelt Island and then moved to North Brother Island. The island was used to house smallpox, tuberculosis, and polio victims. And North Brother Island and Riverside Hospital was infamous for Typhoid Mary, a.k.a. Mary Mallon, who lived on the island for two decades before dying there. And for those who don't know, Mary was a rare case where she didn't have symptoms from having typhoid, but she was a spreader. And she contaminated at least 122 people with typhoid, and five of those people died. And she didn't really give a fuck. I don't, I think My Favorite Murder covers this. I've listened to a podcast about it. I'm pretty sure it's My Favorite Murder, but she was a cook in a kitchen for like wealthy people. And she didn't know she had typhoid for a long time, but after she was diagnosed and told, you can't go back to cooking because you're just going to spread the disease. You got to find another job. You got to do one of these things. She completely ignored them and went back to cooking and then was caught again, arrested. (laughs) Oh my God, arrested. And it was like a lot of this. She, I understand that she was like not wealthy by any means and she had to work and she needed to survive and make money and such like that. But she purposely infected these people and doesn't really seem that she had much remorse for it. So she was known as a public menace uh, and was quarantined on North Brother Island. Today, the island is abandoned and off-limits to the public. As for the inflamed slocum, the safety equipment was useless or rotted. The crew gave up fighting the fire rather quickly. The lifeboats were mainly for show. And the life preservers disintegrated in victims' hands. However... Mothers found out in the worst way that you could possibly find out that these life preservers were useless when they put them on their children and then tossed their kids into the river to save them from the fire, only to watch their kids sink instead of float because these life preservers were useless. This is horrific. Horrific. Also, it's 1904, and everyone is wearing wool, so water is absorbed into the fabric, weighing people down, who already struggled to swim. And I understand to a degree why a lot of people this time didn't know how to swim, but also, you're living on an island. I feel like 
you should at least have the basics down for swimming. I'm not saying you need to be an Olympic swimmer. I'm not even saying you need to be a every weekend swimmer, recreational swimmer, ocean swimmer. But please, people, just have the basics down. Maybe if you're living in Kansas or Den or yeah, Denver, Colorado, or some landlocked state, you don't it's not as necessary. But people along the coast, people living off the Great Lakes, please take a swim class. You're never too old to take a swim class. So over a thousand people died on the Slocum on the steamboat. Mainly because the captain ignored the first warning, you know, from the 12-year-old of a fire. And secondly, because he did not ground the ship fast enough, which only let the fire rage on. He sailed a decent amount away before he actually, you know, told the crew to ground the ship, to beach the ship. Not only is Roosevelt Island haunted, which I'll get to in a minute, but so is North Brother Island. 12 ruins of buildings remain on the island and have become overgrown with plants, nature in general. I guess it's I guess it's a haven for herons. Cute. If you have the chance to visit, people have experienced screaming coming from the middle of the 20-acre island, whispering in your ear, telling you everything you want to hear rustling of plant life which could you know just be a heron but also apparitions of people in hospital gowns and apparitions of people sitting along the shore of the island probably you know steamboat victims i don't know why but like ghosts in hospital get up is hospital geesh as drag queens like to say i that's creepy i don't know why but ghosts in a nurse's outfit or a doctor outfit or even a patient outfit is kind of i don't know it's a little eerie i don't know why because a lot of people die in hospitals and in hospital gowns but maybe the media maybe it's all the media's fault we've seen too many horror movies with ghost nurses <laughs> uh i'm being swayed by my horror movie love but my favorite type of ghost which you can see if you ever get the chance to visit the island which is unlikely but my favorite type of ghost is people seeing a ghost ship sailing by the island and they claim that the ship is a steamboat. So maybe it's the Slocum. Who's to say? But seeing a ghost ship is really fun because A, it's an inanimate object. So it's always fun to see a apparition of something that's not or wasn't ever alive. But also, where are you going? You're wrecked in the middle of the river. So if I see you sailing by, where are you going? Where are you headed to? Who are you? Who are you sailing? Who's sailing the ship? 
who's on the ship? Y'all, oh my God, I didn't tell you up front. I saw, so, you know, the Tony Awards this year were unscripted and they were great, but I had a ticket to go see the musical Titanic, which is essentially the tale of Titanic. As if Celine Dion was on board the Titanic when it sank. (laughs) It's really funny. It's one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. You have to go see it, especially if you love pop culture, because there are a lot of pop culture references and a lot of queer references. So if you are in the LGBTQ plus community or are an ally, like an active ally, you'll get a lot of the jokes. It is so funny and edible. But to speak of sinking ships, Titanic, hilarious. Now, the most haunted island in the East River is Roosevelt Island. And the most haunted part of Roosevelt Island is the smallpox hospital, which are now ruins. Residents, workers, and guests of the island have all experienced a multitude of paranormal sightings, experiences. Most commonly, phantom footsteps, of course. We love a good ghost footstep. Click clack of that heel. Click clacking about. Strange voices. Crying. And screaming. But specifically, babies crying. Which I don't love. I don't love it because when you hear a baby cry, your like instincts are to like see what's up and to check on the baby. But if there's no baby to check on, you're kind of just wandering forever trying to find a baby crying, and that's no fun. There have also been sightings of shadow figures, strange lights. And just so you know, anywhere between 15 to 30,000 people died at the smallpox hospital and because they didn't know how smallpox was spread they would mass burn the victims so people have seen sickly ghosts wandering the island looking for their bodies that were dumped in the east river so they would burn all these smallpox victims and then they would just toss their ashes into the river so sad also, on Roosevelt Island, you see ghost nurses and doctors, just like you do on North Brother Island. You would either see their full body or their half silhouette. However, the most common ghost is an older woman who watches people from a distance, but when approached, she vanishes. Which... I don't like that either. You're going to watch me from really far away, but when I'm going to say hello, you're going to go. You're going to ghost me. You're going to ghost me when I say hello. I don't like that. It's rude. It's just rude. Is this why they, is, is this why people call New Yorkers rude? They vanish. They ghost us. They ghost people. 
During the Civil War, many soldiers were diagnosed with smallpox and brought to the island. There are reports of soldiers wandering the island and watching from a window in the hospital that no longer exists. So, again, you can visit this, the ruins of the smallpox hospital on Roosevelt Island today, but it is ruins. It looks like a castle from Europe. It's falling apart. So there aren't really levels. So there's no really, there's no real way for you to stand on like the second or third floor and look out a window at people. Like, but that's what people are saying. They're seeing these people looking down at you from an above window that the glass is no longer in the window frame and there's no, (laughs) there's no floor to stand on. There's no roof above their head. It's just wild. So I do want to check it out. It sounds fun (laughs) but yeah if you visit roosevelt if you roosevelt island or if you live on roosevelt island please let me know send me an email because i would love to read those stories uh even if you don't have any paranormal experiences from the island just like let me know the vibe of the space but thank you all so much for listening i truly appreciate it Go check out the socials for photos relating to this episode and every episode, as well as guest info and upcoming news. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on next week's episode and tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your barista. My baristas are great. I'm sure your baristas are great. I'm sure they love true crime and paranormal activity. So let them know, but tell them to check out Haunted Hometowns anywhere they stream their podcast. And if you have a paranormal experience you'd like me to share on the podcast, email me at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. Could be anything from hearing your plants scream for water. Just give them water. Why are you letting them scream? Just water your plants to a graffiti mural teleporting you to another dimension. Let me know. (laughs) I say that, and it really reminds me of that TV show Chalk Zone, (laughs) where this kid could, like, draw anything with chalk and it would come to life or, like, teleport himself with chalk. Anyway, let me know, and I will meet y'all back here in a week, and I promise you it'll be a week, not two weeks, (laughs) because everyone loves a ghost story. I got my information from Wikipedia, the Speakeasy, Roosevelt Island Historical Society, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the New York Times. The theme song is from Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Popstar and go stream his music anywhere you stream your music at T-H-A-I-R. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at p.e.p.e.munoz, M-U-N-O-Z.